Today I'm kicking off a brand new series called um, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Um, and I'm actually really excited about this because I, I think personally that perhaps at times this area of emotional health and mental health is an area that um, I'm not sure if the church has taught that well on um, at times. I really believe um, that, that Jesus just doesn't want to save us in our spirits and offer us an eternal hope, but he wants to completely restore us. He wants to restore our physical health. He wants to restore our mental health. He wants to restore our social spheres, our relationships, and our emotional well-being. You know, his salvation has made like holistic transformation possible for us and and I've just felt that perhaps at times in churches we've we've just elevated the spiritual without looking at the whole person or the entire being you know as humans we are multifaceted beings we live in a body our physical health matters we have an intellect we have a mind we we have emotions God's made us to be social people he said it's not good that we be alone and Jesus wants to redeem and restore everything that sins kind of put a taint on everything that sins broken and he wants us to walk in a emotional fullness and mental fullness and he wants our inner world to be a reflection of our lives in him and so yeah that's what we're kind of talking about this morning we're talking about being emotionally well being healthy on the inside you know I think sometimes at church we can kind of put these things into two different categories we can kind of say oh this these these types of activities are spiritual prayer and reading the word and things like fasting and then we can almost disconnect the emotional from the spiritual and and almost think that it's not inside the sphere of God but if you're writing notes I want you to know this the truth is this you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And the thing is, is when we disconnect like spiritual health from emotional health, we start to have these glaring inconsistencies in our lives. You know, we can be on fire for God, passionate about God, out building the kingdom, wanting to be using our gifts. But then at home, we can be neglecting our wives and, and be angry at our kids and be, a, be kind of a non-present spouse. We can be really knowledgeable of the Bible, wanting to share our faith, but then we can avoid conflict at all costs in our inner world. We can um, have deep prayer lives yet the people closest to us can experience us as judgmental or critical or reactive or, or sensitive you know we can lead people and serve tirelessly for God but that can actually be coming from a place of wanting admiration or or wanting validation and Jesus doesn't want to have these inconsistencies in our life he wants a holistic transformation where our heart is healthy where, where we're healthy on the inside and our outer life is flowing from our inner world so what does it mean to be an emotionally healthy disciple? I've got this uh, definition from a book um, called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Um, <laughs> if anyone wants to go deeper on the journey, it's by Pete Scazzaro. I'm really enjoying that author. But anyway, this is what he says. An emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus. An emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus. They reorientate their lives around Jesus. That is the central focus of their lives. Uh, they go beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus. They let Jesus and the Holy Spirit into the deep parts of themselves, deeply transforming their inner world, and they offer their life as a gift to Jesus. Just to elaborate, an emotionally healthy disciple refers to a person who rejects busyness and hurry in order to reorient their entire lives around their personal relationship with Jesus. 
Isn't that a timely word for our time? Developing rhythms, setting limits, and following him wherever he leads. At the same time, they intentionally open the depths of their interior life, their history, their disorientations, their areas of brokenness, and their relationships to be changed by Jesus. They let him into every sphere of their lives, and they say, Lord, mold me. And they are deeply aware how everything they have and all they are is a gift. So they carry a profound awareness of stewarding their talents as a gift to bless the world for Jesus. You know, that's very similar to our, our um, vision, to become wholehearted followers of Jesus, to be a group of people that are reorientating our lives with Jesus at the center. So our lives are an overflow of our intimate relationship with him. I like to put it like this, if we be with Jesus, we start to become like Jesus. And when we become like Jesus, he can start to do the things that he wants to do through us in the world. So that takes us to the question, like, how do we become emotionally healthy disciples? And that's what this series is all about. We're going to spend seven weeks looking at seven marks of what I believe would be an emotionally healthy discipleship. And the first one we're going to talk about today, if you're taking notes, is this, be before you do. Be before you do. And I'm just going to take a moment uh, to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here this morning. I thank you that you're in our midst. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you bring revelation. Would you open each of our hearts today and would you bring revelation to each of us? Would we be changed by your work? In Jesus' name, amen. Be before you do. You know, in the, in the culture we live in, there's a lot of emphasis on our output on our productivity, on uh, how much results we're getting, on how busy we are and how much we're achieving. You know, you kind of look around society and some observations I make is that people are increasingly busy, they're increasingly hurried, they're increasingly overstretched, they're increasingly overcommitted, they're increasingly uh, tired. And it seems to me that in our culture, while many people may not be addicted to things like drugs or alcohol, a lot of us are addicted to the adrenaline rush of doing a lot of us are addicted to the adrenaline rush of being on the treadmill and accomplishing this task and then getting on to this next thing and ticking off this box and making that commitment and making this commitment. And it seems to me that so many of us, myself included at times, are so busy doing that we have nothing to actually sustain our doing. We have no spiritual fuel or residue built up within us that can actually overflow and actually inform our doing. You know, our doing should flow out of our being. Our doing should flow out of our being with God. We need an inflow to our outflow. If we want to reflect Jesus in our doing, we need to let him transform us in our being. And I think when we look at the life of Jesus, he modeled this. He said things like, I only do what I see my father do. In the midst of his busy schedule, like his, he had the most pressures and expectations on him, yet he'd withdraw and he would seek these intimate moments with God. Times in solitude, times of being, times of prayer. Everything that he did, flowed from his relationship with the Father. This is, what Matthew, uh, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It's like mum's avocado tree. Uh, <laughs> good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Basically what he's saying there is what we do flows from who we are. Like a healthy root system will produce healthy fruits. And a question I have for us is, do we prioritize our time with Jesus? Do we prioritize our being with so that the product of our life is actually reflective of him? Or do we get caught up in the trap of doing, doing, doing so that we've actually got nothing to sustain our doing? 
You know, it's a, it's a challenge that I find, and I think the thing is it's not unique to our time. It's not unique only to this generation. I think the classic story in the Bible that kind of contrasts these two postures is the story of Mary and Martha. And I'm just going to read, read, read it to you this morning. This is in Luke 10. This is what it says. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. The big dinner she was pre- but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, "Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me." She's telling Jesus what to do. But the Lord said to her, "My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about." Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. I just want to share some observations I've made from this. Martha is actively serving Jesus. She's got a heart to serve Jesus. She's preparing that dinner with the intent of serving Jesus. Jesus is in her home, and she wants this perfect dinner for him. But in the midst of that, she's missing him. The King and the Messiah and the Lord, the eternal God, is in her home, yet she's so busy with her doing that she's completely missing him. Her life is defined by duty, shoulds, have-tos, and pressures. Her, her, like, her commitment is to her duties, but it has disconnected her from Jesus. She's doing her duties, but she's not connected to the life source. Her life is uncentered and fragmented, and I wonder if even if she took the time to sit down and be at Jesus' feet, would she just simply be worrying about all the stuff she had to do? Would she simply be distracted about all of the preparation that had to go on? You know, I've experienced that in my life where it's like, okay, I'm going to take a time to pause, and even in that pause, I'm just so busy that it's kind of like I can't even focus on God. I wonder if that's what it would be like for Mary, her, or for Martha, her doing is not being sustained by her being. Whereas Mary is with Jesus. She's sitting at his feet, intently listening, enjoying a rich communion with him. His, his presence in her house is the number one priority. And I suspect even if she did get up to go and help her sister, that she wouldn't have the same posture as her sister. She wouldn't be distracted. She wouldn't be overwhelmed because she would, her life is centered on Jesus. Her, being, her doing would flow from her being. And Jesus is clear that Mary has chosen what is better. It's, this is communicating a principle that our outer life should flow from our inner life. You know, and I'm not saying, just to be clear, I'm not saying that our doing's not important. Our doing is extremely important. God has got good works planned for each and every one of us. He, he, he has prepared custom good works for us that we should walk in them. He wants us to be on mission. He wants us to be making a difference. But our relationship with him should come first. Our intimacy with the Father should come first. Our knowing Him should come first. Our time with Him should come first. Our worship of Him should come first. So that, that flows out and that informs everything we do for Him. We need to be before we do. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'm just going to share four ways that we can be with God before we do for God. The first one is this, is make a radical decision. Make a radical decision. This is what it says in Romans 12. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. You know, the first step to being before doing is to make a radical decision. You know, that, like I've said, the cultural current that we're lived in, it's flowing towards doing. It's going to be pulling you towards doing. It's going to be pulling you towards doing more, saying more yeses, doing more things, going to more events, accomplishing more, taking on more work. That is the cultural pull that we're in, but it takes a radical decision to be like, no, I am not going to be informed by this culture. I'm going to be informed by my relationship with God, and I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to put him at the center of my life, and I'm going to sit at his feet, and I'm going to let him inform everything that I do. I'm going to build my life around Jesus. I'm going to reorientate my entire life on not doing and trying to accomplish things, but around being with God and from that place hearing the good works that he has for me. We need to make a radical decision. You know, most things in life start with a conscious choice. And if we actually want to allow the Holy Spirit to form himself in us, to form Christ in us, it starts with a choice around, okay, I'm reordering my life around being with Jesus. I'm reordering my life around my time with Jesus and everything will flow from that place. I'm just going to take a drink. Dry mouth sucks. (laughs) The second way to be before you do is to feel your feelings. Feel your feelings. You know, sometimes in church we can view um, kind of unwanted emotions as these negative things that we just have to conquer, that we just have to deny, that we just have to like kind of shift and shift our focus and think a positive thought. You know, we can be experiencing emotions like anger or frustration or or fear or maybe anxiety and, and perhaps you've been brought up in a church culture where it's like, that's bad, you need to rewire your mind, you need to think this immediately and, and it can actually be perceived as a virtue in a lot of churches just to quench and shut down our, our emotions but I believe the problem that I've experienced in my life with this approach is that we're often just putting on a plaster. We're often just like denying something that's there and there's a reason that it's there and we're shifting and having this false facade of being positive and in faith. Well, actually, we're not allowing, we're not inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and actually form us and heal us holistically. You know, sometimes our emotions are actually revealing things to us. Sometimes our emotions are actually communicating like a deep lie that we're believing. Sometimes our emotions are revealing an imbalance in our lives, and if we simply just try to pretend it's not there or deny it, we rob God of the opportunity to actually bring holistic health to us, to actually invite him into those places, to invite him into our anger, to kind of ask the Holy Spirit, like, why am I feeling this? Is there something going on in my life? Is there a truth I'm not believing? Is there a lie that is causing me to feel like this? And he can actually holistically bring us to a place where we embody and we believe and we walk in that truth, instead of just pretending we believe that truth when we really we don't you know it's kind of like if you're feeling really stressed or anxious I've been like this before it's like yes we have peace in Christ we have peace that's a promise but sometimes if we go straight to just saying I've got peace in Christ we rob the Holy Spirit of actually revealing to us well maybe you're feeling stressed because deep down you're actually avoiding conflict Deep down, you're avoiding conflict, you're avoiding a lie. Maybe you're actually feeling stressed because you're saying yes to everything, your life's totally out of balance, and I want to come in, and I want to bring healing, and I want to bring health so you actually walk in this peace. We go straight to, like, it's almost like a protectionism because we don't want to feel those feelings. We can almost view things like anger as like an unholy thing. But maybe that anger's coming from a place, and maybe that the, the actual path to healing is allowing the Holy Spirit to um, walk with us in that. Is that kind of making sense? 
I think when we look at the scriptures, we see countless examples of men and women of God pouring their heart out to God. We see Moses in the wilderness pouring his heart out to the Lord. We see Jeremiah expressing his emotions to God when he is fighting depression. We see in the scriptures that Jesus is someone who is emotionally alive. He expressed his emotions without shame. He shed tears. He grieved. He was angry. He showed astonishment and wonder. He, he wasn't just like non-emotional. He, he, he was human. He had the full spectrum of emotions. And I wonder sometimes if we actually give ourselves that same liberty. I wonder sometimes if we think, no, I'm feeling this. As a Christian, I've just got to be like this. I've just got to think good. I've got to be good. And, and, and we actually rob, um, rob ourselves of actually like walking in the fullness of what God would call us to walk in. I, I believe David is one of the best examples of emotional honesty before God. We read the Psalms. He's pouring his heart out like, why are you downcast, my soul? What is going on? And often through that process of calling out to God, of, of, of telling God how he's feeling, he'll end those Psalms and, but my hope is in the Lord, but I trust in him. God will move him to this process of actually finding hope and faith and trust, but it, it was a process to get there. And he actually had to share his emotions. He actually had to voice them. He actually had to feel them to allow the Holy Spirit to transform him and remind him of the truth. You know, I love what it says in Psalm 139. David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's like this posture of openness. Search me. Come into the depths of my soul. Look at every area of my life. Know my heart. I am not hiding anything from you. The thing is, is that God knows exactly what's in our hearts anyway. He knows what emotions are in there. He knows what pain's in there. He knows what insecurities are in there. So he's saying, search my heart. Know, know what's in there. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He's not trying to hide them from God. He's saying, God, know what's going on. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. This is, the, this is the key here. It's not just to be emotional. It's not to be down in our emotions, but it's saying, show me what's going on. Show me the imbalances. Show me the lies. Show me where my life's invested in the wrong place. Show me the source and then lead me on the path everlasting. Lead me into life. Lead me into truth. Lead me into health. Lead me into wellness. Lead me into your will. You know, we need to feel our feelings. We need to feel that, and I'm just being careful here because I'm not saying that we should make choices based on our feelings. I'm not saying that our feelings are communicating the truth. I'm not saying, because God's word is the truth, and often our feelings lie to us. Often our feelings are confusing. Often our feelings are not an accurate reflection of the truth. Choices do lead and feelings follow, but sometimes our emotions are actually revealing something to us. And sometimes we need to be able to hold that tension and invite God in and say, God, is there a lie that I'm believing? God, is there something, is there an imbalance in my life? Holy Spirit, would you help me in this? Holy Spirit, would you journey with me in this? Holy Spirit, I'm actually struggling with this. Help me in this and lead me in the path everlasting. You know, journaling is a really powerful thing. It's something I've done is just actually learning to kind of be before God and write down what's actually going on in my heart and then have a conversation with him about it. The third way to be before we do is to integrate silence into our lives. This is what it says of Jesus, and the context of this is Jesus has just done like a miraculous healing. He's healed a, a person from leprosy, and he's told the person that he's healed to go back to the temple and follow the cultural custom at that time and honor the priests, and don't tell anyone about him. But this dude goes and tells everyone, and uh, like we probably all would. But anyway, in Luke 5 it says this, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him, 
and to be healed of their sickness. People had heard Jesus was healing people and thought, we want to get a piece of this guy. It says crowds, other versions say multitudes. It's not talking about 10 or 15 people. It's talking about people walking sort of three days to get to Jesus, just to have a piece of Jesus, just to be with him. That's how much of an impact he was making. And think of all those demands. There were people, it talks about him healing the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. There were people with real needs, people that were suffering, people that were struggling. But look at what it says next. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You'd think with that amount of need and that amount of suffering that he would just keep plowing on. He would just keep on doing. He would just keep on healing people. He would just keep on saying, come to me. But he knew that what sustained his ministry was his time with God. What sustained everything in his life was the time with with the Father. What sustained everything that would flow out of him was what the Holy Spirit was doing in him in his time with God, you know. And I wonder if, if, if we can learn something from that principle. I don't think any of us have more pressures than Jesus. I don't think any of us have more important things to do than Jesus had to do. Yet in the midst of being the Savior of the world, he would go and spend time with God. He would go and seek solitude. He would go and pray, sometimes all night. Sometimes, and, and if you actually track his life, the more his ministry started to ramp up, the more he was out of the picture with God, you know? And I think that's something we need to learn. Sometimes we can be passionate about doing for God, but we're never going to do much for God if we're not first with God. You know, we need to have silence in our life. You know, silence is powerful because in silence, it's a place where we let go of all of our agendas. We stop what we want to do. We stop our will. We stop our request to God, and we simply be. We simply sit. We simply listen. We simply commune with him. We simply spend time with him. We simply allow him to reveal stuff in us. We simply surrender our will and realize that just being with God is enough. You know, in silence, we create time for God to speak to us. It's kind of like in a relationship. If you're just talking to the, to talk to, if it's a one-way conversation, it's not much of a relationship. But if there's pauses and if there's silence and if there's opportunity for God to speak, we can start to create a bit of a dialogue that can, that can come with us in our day. You know, so I'm just, I'm just encouraging you, try with that. Start somewhere. Maybe pause throughout your day and recenter. Maybe in your, in your morning, take a bit of time just to be silent and allow God to meet you in that place. Is this good? Okay. The fourth way to be before we do is to commune with Jesus throughout the day. You know, I talked about the time of silence. That's not a goal in itself. I believe the goal of actually spending these, these uh, set-apart times with God is so that we actually learn to like be aware of his presence during our everyday. We actually learn to be rested and reliant on him in our everyday life. We actually learn to be conscious of God when we're doing our work, when we're doing our exercise, when we're cooking, where we're cleaning. We're, we're attentive to his presence in every part of our life. There's a conscious reliance and rest and alignment of God. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. Other versions say remain, live, dwell abide in me and I in you. It's this reliance, it's this resting. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You know, that's a sober reminder that without the abiding, without Jesus actually producing the work, without it being led by the Spirit, it doesn't have eternal fruit. And so it needs to come from a place of abiding, of resting, of being led, of, of, 
of, yeah, of being led from God. Paul says this to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians. He says, pray without ceasing. And I can remember reading that like, you know, not so long ago, actually thinking that's a really weird statement. Pray, pray without ceasing. That's, that's a lot of praying, Paul. And, uh, you know, but like the more I've thought about that and read about it, he's not literally talking about praying nonstop out loud. He's talking about living a life where we're constantly in communion with God where we're constantly attentive to his presence, where we're constantly being led by him. You know, we might, and, and, and in our lives of, of, of busyness and pressures, it's like we can take moments to pause, realign, but it's moving towards this posture where our whole lives is a prayer, where our whole lives is a conversation with God, where our whole lives is a leading by the Spirit, where he's conscious in everything. And from that place, everything we do is an act of worship. Everything we do is for his glory because he's immersed and in it all. So that kind of takes me to the close of my, my message today. If the um, team can, worship team can come back up. Just want to recap where we've been. Um, Jesus wants to transform me and you. He wants to change you. He, he, he wants you healed and whole on the inside. He wants us holistically healed and whole. It says that he came to give life rich, full, and satisfying. He wants to heal us from the inside out. You know, we cannot truly be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. The, the two just don't go together. So we need to invite Jesus into our inner world to actually change us on the inside, to actually do that deep work, to let him into the broken parts, to let him into the insecurities, to let, let him into the questions and allow him to form himself in us. You know, the mark of a healthy discipleship that we talked about today is be before you do. Be before you do. Be with God and allow him to flow through you. We talked about four ways we can move in this direction. The first one it just starts with making a decision. Make a choice. Hey, I'm not just going to be pulled along by what everyone else is doing. I'm going to consciously choose to order my life around my relationship with God. I'm going to consciously choose to build that into my day. I'm going to consciously be mindful of the things I say yes to because I want that to be at the center. The second one is feel your feelings. Allow yourself to actually know what's going on in your heart. Allow God to come into those places and allow him to take you through the process of, of, of finding truth. The third one is to integrate silence. It might be small steps, but just taking some moments to sit in silence, sit in solitude, listen, let your soul still be with God. And the fourth one, which is the goal of the third one, is to commune with Jesus throughout your day. Let's be people that I know in my life I've had times where I have this awesome time with God in the morning and then the minute I finish, I get up and I just start charging off and it's all Sam for the rest of the day. And it's like, that is not the point. It's like, why don't we just be led by him? Why don't we choose to live a slowed down spirituality? Why don't we choose to actually have our, our, um, our set apart times with him to actually flow into our everyday lives? Um, and I honestly really believe, I believe if, if us as a community, if we can all move in this direction, to taking steps to just being with God before we're doing, I think our spiritual lives and our souls will be so much healthier. I think we will begin to reflect Jesus more and more. I think there will be more of a leading from the Holy Spirit, more discernment, more listening. And I really believe that we'll actually be able to provide a better representation of who Jesus is because we're people who sit at the feet of Jesus. We're people who are with him. Thank you.